You are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. This show is for real. Hello there, guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm again joined by Jesse McKinnell, who's the author of Dead Cats, as well as Anarchy and Other Lies, and he also was on an episode of Genuine Chit Chat a little while ago, episode 140. And this week, we want to talk about some end-of-the-world theories. So if you weren't already introduced to Jesse in episode 140 of Genuine Chit Chat, go check that out because it was a lot of fun. But as I said, this one is nothing to do with his books or anything. We are just focusing on some end of the world theories. So we do have a bit of fun with this. Uh, We are being sort of semi-serious, but we have a lot of jokes along the way. But, you know, please take everything that we say with a pinch of salt because neither of us are experts on the doomsday clock or potential end of the world things. It was just a fun thing to discuss towards the end of 2021. Uh, But just for clarity, we talk about our definitions of it uh, as well as, you know, possibilities of aliens or artificial intelligence, nuclear war, another pandemic, environmental degradation and climate change, all those sorts of things that we kind of discuss how likely one of them is, what the consequences could be, and that sort of thing. So it's just a really fun hour-long conversation on the end of the world. So, you know, quite a mix of feelings there in that one sentence alone. But that's really it, guys. I'm not going to waffle on here, aside from telling you to, you know, check out the show notes. There's a link to Jesse's website, and you can also read the first full chapter of his first book, Dead Cats. And, you know, you can check him out on Instagram and a few other bits and pieces as well. So just always check the show notes. That's a good way to uh, proceed with genuine chit chat, because I always make a lot of effort of filling it with information. But yeah, guys, I'll be back at the end to give you guys a little bit more information of what you can expect from genuine chit chat over the next few weeks and the end of the year and that sort of thing. And I'll give you a bit more information there as well. So hope you guys enjoy this chat and uh, I'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. I am joined here once again with Jesse McKinnell, back again within only a few weeks of your last appearance. It might be a month or so. Time is a mess uh, post-COVID, so I've got no clue at all. But... um, you know, last time we had such a good chat, I want to have you on again because there's a few little strands of things that I'm sure we could have whole conversations on, but one of them in particular was the end of the world. So why don't you start off by reminding people who you are and both of your lovely books, and then you can sort of define what you think the end of the world is, and we'll kind of go from there. Thanks, Mike. And yeah, really appreciate you having me back on. It was really fun last time. I think it was about six weeks ago, at least since we recorded it, and there was a lag between yeah. when you posted and recorded it. So I'm Jesse McKinnell. I am a writer uh, based in the U.S. And I've uh, published two novels. Uh, my newest one, distinctly, it's a distinctly dystopian novel. Uh, that Actually, that would be, be a good title for it, distinctly dystopian. Um, mm. But it's called Anarchy and Other Lies. And it investigates sort of like boring dystopia is, I think, how we defined it last time, which is I, I don't think that the end of the world is going to be spectacular and caused by a meteor like what happened with the dinosaurs i think it's a slow a slow process and we probably won't realize as we get there uh and then i have another book called uh, dead cats and the reflections on parenthood which i published in in 2018 uh and some more stuff coming out in the pipeline Mm, which i'm sure you'll return back on the show to talk about those when they all occur in the future Uh, so when you tell us like you know, end of the world stuff, it's always a very intriguing conversation, but what do you define as the end of the world? It's, it's, it's such a, there's so many points uh, where you can, it's, is it like the end of civilization is, especially if you're looking at it from, it's interesting with you being based in the UK, 
and me being based in the U.S. Because you can also look at it like dynastically, you know, like is it the end of an empire? Is that is that a, a point where you can point to and say, okay, now somebody else is in charge of governing the world, and because I'm a part of this empire, it influences Wayne, then effectively whatever. And I don't think that's it. But from apocalyptic standpoints, I think of the end of the world. I don't think you'll ever be able to like eradicate humanity. I think that mm. it's like we can't get rid of cockroaches. We'll never be able to get rid of all humans. So that, I don't think there'll ever be a point where the human life ceases to exist on this planet. So that's not how I think mm. of the end of the world. I think of it more as a crumbling of society. And, you know, something like when we look, dystopian is not a new type of humans love dystopian entertainment and we love to think about this stuff and there's so many influences to draw from and so many people have thought about what the end of the world looks like and i think that the most realistic version i've seen for what i would look at and say okay that's the end of the world is probably the road by cormac mccarthy Mm. uh and i can't remember who was responsible for the movie but that's that's sort of like scrounging for last available resources ultimately lawlessness and you know tribalism is is i guess how i think is the best definition and i think that that movie was probably the most realistic portrayal of what it would look like yeah it reminds me um, i've not seen i've not read the book or seen the film the road i know the premise because a friend of mine I think read the book and told me quite a lot about it. So I know, I think there's the father son kind of relationship, um, that sort of thing. So I know the vague semblance, but there's a film called book of Eli and there's a game series called fallout. And those things make me think something similar ish. Is that right right sort of line? Yeah. The book of Eli, I saw that movie and I couldn't, I was into it until the moment that Denzel Washington was looking for places to plug his iPod into. He was like, he like needed the iPod jams to like go out and kill marauders or something like that. And it's been a while since I've seen that, but that's that's what I remember about that. And that was the part where I was like, I don't know, this is a similar thing happened in Blade Three. The uh, Jessica mm. Beale's character also needed to kill vampires to her iPod playlist, and it's I don't think that those things hold up very well. But yes, that that's sort of they always make it look like a desert. Uh, there's like never you, you can't grow anything for whatever reason you can't grow your own food and particularly in the road they, they did a great job of making the hunger palpable like you just really felt like the father and son were starving and the every good idea for like where to find food had already been taken so there but I think that in that book they they stumbled upon a bunker that had like Cheetos and some Chef Boyardee in it. And that was like the high point of the movie was them finding some unopened cans of Chef Boyardee for the first time in a couple months. Yeah. I think I'm in agreement with you. Like general, cause there's end of the world, which is like, the end of the entirety of the world, which would be a horrendous asteroidal impact. The sun, you know, will eventually explode in some a billion years um or like a massive solar flare will just singe and burn the entirety of earth like basically there's the end of the world where there's no life or next to no life or then there's end of human world and i think in this discussion it's going to be more so about the end or at least 
like huge amounts of population of the human race destroyed, uh, modern civilization gone, probably no electricity or fleeting, uh, lack of water, which obviously would then mean a lack of food. Those sorts of things, I think, were both on the same sort of page of what would be considered, air quotes, end of the world, more so end of the human world as we know it. Um, so, I mean, th- we've got a few notes here um, that we spoke about before recording. And is there one in particular that you think is the most likely of of the ones, well, either the ones that we've got written down, or if you thought of any uh, since then, are there any that you personally think is the most likely one to occur? That's a good question. And I don't know. And we talked about this last time a bit where I told you that I, I think about this stuff a lot and I mm-hmm. definitely feel like I'm being too sensitive and that if you look historically, the way things are going now aren't so bad <laughs> compared to you know, what, what at least America has been through in the past and the, the tumult and the, and the turmoil, there's, there's something like, like polling says that like 50% of the people in America think that we're headed for another civil war. But if you look at, uh, I, I brought up last time, like Vietnam, like uh, the, the Cold War with Russia, where the school that I went to had, had fallout shelters in the basement. And I was like just removed from the generation where they had to practice uh, like firebombing drills by high, by putting their heads between their legs and hiding underneath their desks and like the Cuban Missile Crisis and all this stuff. And mm. to be alive during that time, you must have felt like the world was going to end. Um, but I, I just mm. can't help. But be, and it's also probably like self-aggrandizement to think that you're so important that at some point you'll be a, the one who's alive to see the end of the world. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of egotistical to, to think that, you know, that's you'll have that sort of end of the life role, I guess, or I don't know. Well, that's what people with zombie, whenever zombies get brought up and people are like, oh, I wish there would be a zombie apocalypse. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> it would be the worst existence ever. Everything you enjoy would be gone. You know, it's basically just anything decent. It just goes back to the core human survival mixed with having to basically kill your whole family and friends and things. It's like, no, I would not. I don't think I'd last very long in a zombie apocalypse. I think I'd have one good idea, probably about weeks after someone else had a good idea, go there and get killed. That's my, I would like to think I could survive a zombie apocalypse and be the next Rick Grimes or something, but no, I, I think I would <laughs> be pretty pretty screwed. Uh, but sorry, um, continuing with your, your line of thought. So is there one that you think is more likely going to cause this? Or? So the one that's definitely the most likely is environmental degradation. And that's just because mm-hmm. the other ones are sort of fantastical. Like I, I sent you a list of stuff like artificial intelligence, another pandemic, uh, nuclear war, um, aliens. <laughs> like al- Aliens is such a wild card. Who knows what will happen to the aliens? <laughs> and when I say that like humans will probably be on this planet forever, that's that's absent some sort of alien intervention <laughs> because I don't, I'm not going to speak to what they're capable of. Uh, <laughs> but environmental degradation is the most tangible one anyway, where there's, and this is definitely, uh, I don't think that the environment will degrade to the point where life is unlivable, but I think environmental degradation will um, affect areas and and make them so untenable that it will just create more war on this planet, which will, even if you're you know, living in the first world or whatever, and you've got infrastructure in place that can deal with 
rising sea levels and increased temperatures and you can shift where food production is coming from and shift where water supplies are and everything. I just think that some of the lower lying areas of the world, it's, it's going to create so much conflict that the world is going to constantly be in conflict over resources in a way that it's never been before. And so I, mm. and, and who knows what that triggers. Uh, so I, I think that's the one that I, I feel the most uh, is the most real or the most pressing or, or prescient about what could happen in the future. Mm, yeah. Cause I think a lot of the other ones are more so like, big events you know there's one you know if aliens came down that would be a big event you know if ai became you know any of the number of things that people talk about with ai if it becomes self-aware if it connects to the internet becomes the most powerful uh comprehensive being where like you know in one second it has the amount of time to process a thought like if a human thinks for one second you can think about i don't know a couple of words maybe but whereas with an ai if they became super intelligent and all this sort of stuff the idea would be if you ask them a question in the time it takes them to answer your question which would be like five seconds because of their processing power it would be like a thousand years for them to be able to think of that thought and it's that kind of level of you know we could have a whole conversation about ai but like the ai becoming self-aware and then deciding to try and destroy the human race or becoming a superpower and enslaving it or whatever it would do and that's something that's like an event you know it would be a slightly slow it'd be a progression but it would kind of be this this is when you know terminate is probably the best example yeah. this is when judgment day yeah. happened this is when skynet became a thing and then you got nuclear war well, when did the bombs you know drop so there's a lot of these things which are kind of something happens it's the catalyst whereas i think with environmental degradation it's basically you know it's the more extreme side of climate change and it's just it's a slow it's like a slow motion car crash it's just like everyone's everyone who doesn't disagree it's happening generally can see it happening but it's happening at such a small rate that so many people can try and turn a blind eye to it and just be like oh we'll let the next generations worry about that it's like, <laughs> we've been saying that for three generations now this is actually becoming quite pressing um yeah and it's just things that you know certain crops that mess up soil and then it takes a certain amount of years for the soil to be able to be used for other crops again then obviously there's droughts that occur and water pollution and all kinds of things that in in an isolated incident, a lot of people just downplay their importance. But when you look at the whole map and you look at all kinds of things, even like I'm not vegan or vegetarian, I eat meat, but like I'm aware that meat consumption is a huge contributing factor to climate change. And then there's like an, if human race continues to grow, it's going to become an unsustainable enterprise. So people are looking at fake meats and stem cell burgers and uh, insects and stuff like that. So there are a lot of I like to think that with most of the end of the world stuff that's slow motion as opposed to an event, I hope that through the struggle eventually we'll come out the other side. But <laughs> there's the pessimist in me and there's the optimist in me. And depending on what day you get me will depend on how hopeful I am about these things. So with the environmental degradation element of it, are you do you think it's going to happen uh, and then it will screw the world over and human race will slowly go? Or are you more hopeful that if it did happen, we'd come out the other side? Like, What's your kind of thoughts on that element of uh, of an apocalypse? I mean, that's a good one because I guess that one's more about the empire building uh, aspect mm. of it because there'll be something on the other side of it. It's just who knows what it will look like and will it be a free society or will it be something else? And will it trigger something like nuclear war? You know, like if, if something happens with Russia and with the environment of Russia and China, they aren't able to adapt and uh, they decide to, actually I, I touch on this in my book. That's uh, one of my 
there's a, an election going on in my book, Anarchy and Other Lies, and the uh, one president is offering aid to Russia and China to help deal with climate change, and the other president isn't, and Russia and China are saying, well, if you elect the guy who isn't going to give us aid, we're going to fire nuclear bombs at you. So America, <laughs> have fun at the polls tomorrow. <laughs> um, and so I think I think a scenario like that is in, is in play. It could trigger other things, but more likely it's just going to create a lot of conflict and a lot of change. And a society as we know it will be markedly different because of it. Mm. The, the AI thing I think is really interesting because you've got, you've got the Terminator scenario but you've also got the scenario where it's just better at everything mm. than humanity. And we're already sort of getting pushed to like, what do we do better than computers? Well, you can't replicate human creativity mm-hmm. yet. Um, like it's, there's just something genuine about uh, a human that's writing a, a novel or painting a picture or whatever is your artistic approach to it. And I think that's just a matter of time before AI also takes over creativity and it gets better. And it's becomes, you know, a thousand monkeys typing on a thousand keyboards and they create the best novel <laughs> that's ever been written. It's, it almost becomes, I thought about this, that it would, uh, you know how, like if you're shopping for furniture and someone's like, oh, this one's handmade and you like, you like way extra to that. You're like, oh, this one was hand, this chair was handmade. That's uh, this, that in, in, uh, there must be some like inherent quality in that, even though if it's a machine made one, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference, but because it's handmade, it has a special quality. And I, I was thinking that we would, we, we're probably going to get there with artificial intelligence too, where you've got novels and books and screenplays that are written by computers. And then you've got another category that probably aren't even as good, but they're handmade by actual humans. And, and people go out and seek those especially. So then there's, there's that part of artificial intelligence where it's not just the self-aware, but it's just like, what's the point? What's the point of humans anymore? Like, what are we good at? What are we better at than, than the machines? And what do we do with ourselves all day? And if there's nothing to do, what's the point? <laughs> what happens? It's a bit like Wally. Have, have you seen the Disney movie Wally? Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Would be, be the fat guys going around on the, on the yeah, carts. Not even knowing how to mate. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know much about artificial intelligence? I don't, I don't, I mean, I know probably more than average, but I don't understand. Like, I get the part where it's like a super efficient computer, basically. It's just like artificial intelligence, just an algorithm that's, mm. that can process information at speeds faster than a human mind can and can sort of like take the next step and like see the questions that are popping up from its data analysis. But I don't understand who wants this. You know? <laughs> That that is a big why. It's you know the um it's the classic Jeff Goldblum line from Jurassic Park, isn't it? Like you didn't ask how, <laughs> what you should be asking why. Like why did you want to do this? You know right. we know we could do it, but do you want to actually bring dinosaurs back? I mean, I'll clarify. I think dinosaurs are pretty cool. So even though I know the potentially world-ending catastrophe that could happen, I'm up for bringing dinosaurs back. I think it'd be fun. Uh, so that's my <laughs> controversial opinion of the time. Um, but with super intelligence and AI, I've listened to. A fair amount of podcasts on it, some by Sam Harris, some by Joe Rogan. So varying degrees of <laughs> qualifications there, <laughs> depending on who the guest is and normally how stoned or how many drugs Joe Rogan is on as to how, how, uh, well, how weighted it could be. Um, but aside from that, I've looked into it a degree. I probably would argue that I know a smidge more than the average person. I, I spoke to a guy called Magnus Unimer, uh, who I think was Swedish, 
a few a couple of years ago on the podcast and he was talking about like the internet of things which is like washing machines that you you put all the tablets in there at the start and then when the tablets get low they have access to your amazon account and they will or your i shouldn't say amazon account because amazon are evil but i still use them um but you know insert big corporate corporation here who sells washing detergent online and they will just order it for you and it will arrive and then all you have to do is put it in there and put the clothes in there and it will just do that and there's like fridges that do the same where they monitor how much milk you've got and then it will tell and they'll order that and it's like that's kind of that's one baseline of it which is just making everything easier which i understand although i disagree with i think anyone who's got a smart fridge is a bit of a dick sorry guys if you've got a smart <laughs> fridge if you're gifted it if you you've got stupid amounts of money and you don't know how to spend it give it to charity do something good with it but if you've got get, been gifted a smart fridge fair enough if you've gone out and bought one specifically gets a smart fridge I think you're a bit of a dick. Unless someone is listening, please contact me and explain to me what the benefit is because I can't... Same with the washing machine. I'm like, do you really have so little time you can't think about ordering detergent? Like, of all the things in my life that take up time, washing dishes. Well, you've got dishwashers. Cool. That makes sense to me. That's a good shout. You know, self-cleaning ovens. Yeah, cleaning the oven's a bit of a ball egg. can take a little while. I get that, even though I don't think they're perfect. But when it comes to things, you know, all these other smart objects, I, I don't... I, I think there's a level of uh, convenience, which I agree with, you know, like the remote control got invented because people were sick of standing up and walking to their TV to change the channel. That's cool. But there are levels of it which just go too far. So I think there's the baseline of that level of intelligence, which I don't think necessarily is going to breach artificial intelligence uh, of what we're speaking about. Because then there's, you know, the computers that can beat humans at chess, which I think now is all the time. And there's some sort of <laughs> Eastern game that's more complicated than chess or something. It's like the most complicated board game ever. And now AI have managed to beat humans at it. But it is the thing that you say where at the moment they're better at analyzing stuff. They're better at processing things. When you've got a, a chessboard, there's only a finite amount of things one can do on a chessboard. You know, whereas if I'm playing against computer, they can't, they couldn't go into the kitchen and get a fork and put that on the middle of the board. That's not a legal move, but if I'm playing with you and I'm sick of it, I could do loads of stupid things to mess with your game. A computer can't do that. It can't think outside the box. And I think the thing is, is that what's happening is that the Western world are arguing we need to make AI because China or Russia are currently making AI and we need to make AI before they do because our AI is going to be morally good and their AI is going to be morally evil, which you know, people who are only listening, I'm using air quotes because, you know, that I'm not going to get into a debate about morality, but that <laughs> with China, Russia, America, <laughs> and even my country, you know, uh, the good old England. I think it's just, I hope it would be for the best. I want it to be for the best. And I, I maybe it's just my naivety, but I think if AI did come about, I think we would somehow have a handle. I don't think it would end the world. But I think part of it is trying to stop the air quotes bad guys from doing it while mixing with convenience, while some people some people just want to do them something for the sake of it. You know, some yeah. some people are passionate about, you know, being one of the pioneers of AI. And it's an incredibly impressive feat. But yes. there's also that query of like if you create AI, how do you know when something is self-aware? And then once like if you make a smart toaster. How do you know the smart toaster isn't self-aware? It can't communicate with you. It has no way of communicating. So how do you know this toaster isn't trapped in this horrible life of being a toaster? So there's all these crazy questions that come off it. Like if you've been, if you talk shit to your toaster and it's got the smart thing and then AI takes over, is the AI going to come to your house like the robots or the AI Gestapo and go, 
you were really mean to that toaster and it remembered all of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we're going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, so a couple things to touch on. Mm-hmm. One, I, I like the, I like the part that we'll get true back to your analogy about the chess, the chessboard. Well, true AI will be when the uh, computer can flip the chessboard at you in frustration and yeah. just like throw it across the room. And that's, that's when we'll know that there's, there's really no place for humanity anymore when it was able to experience rage. And it's like artificial emotions uh, mm. coming on, on top of artificial intelligence. And so far as I can surmise the race to AI seems to be, yes, like you said, sort of like a nuclear arms cold war and also an ego thing mm. amongst extremely rich people who have that like if you build it they will come mentality to we'll just do it and find a way to monetize it later because of course it must be monetizable and if we do it first and it sounds super swanky then we'll hold all sorts of intellectual property patents and the morality of what we're doing doesn't matter because uh we're not even going to think about that we'll just we'll just know that whatever we do because we're the ones that did it it will be okay and and therefore it's self-justified so that's that's a, that's a, the only way I've been able to wrap my mind around some of this stuff. There's a great short story uh, that got a got some traction, I think, a couple of years ago about this um, this future where everything was Internet of Things, and this guy was trapped in a hell where like he couldn't put off brand dishes in his dishwasher because it would re- it would scan them and reject them and it, like it was like forcing brand conformity throughout his whole life so like you couldn't put off brand milk in your smart fridge it wouldn't unlock for you and stuff like that and you definitely with with the way that the incompatibility with some of these companies and the way they lock up their tech you can totally see how we're going to get to a place like that mm-hmm. yeah it's there's it there's so many layers of AI that intrigue me, but I, I think one of the things is I, to be honest with everyone, I just think that I don't worry about it because it's not in my face. I think that's like climate change isn't as in my face, but even I've noticed in my lifetime, which is I'm nearly 30, just living in the UK, I have noticed differences in the climate since 10, 15 years ago. Like I think that's in America, I know it's much more of a political issue. I know that, like, the right, generally speaking, doesn't even... Well, for a while, they were saying it's not happening. And then I think they've now changed it to it is happening, but it's nothing to do with humans. Um, which, to quote my dad, my late father, he said, even if you don't think climate change is being caused by the fumes out of the cars, can anyone really argue that all those fumes and chemicals coming out of the back of your car is good? Like, is is it really going to be good or is it honestly doing absolutely nothing? Probably not. <laughs> probably not doing nothing, is it? You know, um, so climate change over here is not that political, though, in the UK. Like, we've got two main parties, Labour and Conservative. Conservative on the right, Labour are more on the left, but they're both central-ish. Uh, but even the Conservatives, they're in power at the moment. They're going forward with climate change stuff. They're trying to make sure. So over here, it's not as much of a big deal. But yeah, it's. Um, I think with AI, it's something that I... Apart from sci-fi films and sci-fi movies and things like that, you know, the sci-fi stuff, I enjoy consuming content. That's where AI is. And for me, it just seems like because I'm not at the forefront, you've got things like Siri or whatever, which I don't, don't use, but that's like really, really low-tech AI. That's more adaptive intelligence as opposed to true artificial intelligence. And I, I just think that I hope that AI 
it'll have an off button or something or that it will destroy the world so quickly i won't even really know it will do something like in avengers 2 and it'll be like oh i'm artificial intelligence oh humans are all bad let's just wipe them all out and then either it'll fail or it will succeed and i probably won't even know you know that's yeah. maybe my you thought be, on it you'll be harvested like in the matrix you'll be one of those pods and <laughs> yeah. you'll be eating your steak and being like i know this isn't steak but it looks like steak and it tastes like steak so i don't care thank you thank you ai for giving me this steak mm. uh it's it's interesting so i totally have noticed the change in the environment too and uh so i surf and the the time that I need a wetsuit to surf shrinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I can, I was out surfing until the end of September without a wetsuit on this year. And in, when I first started surfing like 15 years ago, you know, mid September, I'd have to put a wetsuit on because just the couple degree temperature shift in, in the water made a big difference. But mm. it, and the, the political, you're right. It's great to hear that it's not political in the, in the UK because that gives me hope that, you know, America's problems don't, uh, infect the rest of the world uh, in, in terms of <laughs> everything becomes this ridiculous, uh, you know, political value fight. But mm. it's it's shifted from on the right from it's a it's a hoax. Climate change is a hoax. To okay, it's happening, but it's happened uh, all the time. It's cyclical and it's natural, and it'll go back. To now the now the rationale to not do anything is, wow, we're just a drop in the bucket. Look at what China's doing. If you can't get China to change their behavior, then whatever we do is just going to hurt us economically, and then we'll be behind China, and being behind China is a nightmare. So uh, just keep burning the coal and the oil, because who cares? <laughs> so nihilistic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because there's people like, there's people in the UK who don't believe it, or there's people in the UK who... I think in the UK it's more about apathy. I think it's less so... Like, the like conservatives in power, they're not like, climate change is the most important thing at the forefront. It's more so like, okay, we've got all these things that are important to us, primarily money and businesses and stuff, but then on the side it's like, well, there's these things that we have no political alignment on. They're not they're, uh, bipartisan issues, like it's not left or right, so... We just think this will probably be better. You know, we've got the Green Party, who's like top priority saving the planet, whereas the Conservatives is like top priority from what they kind of say is small business businesses and the economy and money. Oh, this little thing that doesn't fit into any camp. Oh, we'll just go forward with that because the general public want us to recycle. The general public want us to have uh, you know more brakes for people to be able to have electric cars and, and you know getting rid of diesel and all these sort of other things. So. In that regard, it is is good. So we spoke about AI a bit, and we spoke about environmental degra- degradation and uh, climate change and things. So we've got a few others. So we touched on nuclear war. So I'm interested by that because obviously the Cold War is probably the most recent time where people thought, I mean, you know, nuclear weapons have only been about this century. Well, not, we're in the 21st century. The last hundred years is even less than that. Is about how long we've had. It was, you know, World War II-ish. It was around the time it kind of came to the forefront of everyone's minds. And so... For quite a new technology, I've heard of quite a few instances, I think there's a book about it, of like near misses where like uh, the nuclear weapons almost got launched from certain places uh, and things which could have caused the end of the world. Do you think that a nuclear war now is as possible as it was at the Cold War? Do you think that's something to be worried about in your opinion? Or do you think it's just one of those kind of in the background, it could happen, but let's hope it doesn't. 
this is this is your scenario where you just hope that you don't realize the world ended. Mm. You just go to sleep and you never wake up because a bomb's been dropped near you and you get vaporized. Maybe you wake up for a second. What's that light? And then you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know how long it takes, you know, so like satellites are probably detected and depending on where it was fired from, you'd have like an hour to know that. But there's phone notifications because there was that thing in Hawaii, yes, exactly. wasn't there, where there's that emergency text sent out to people in Hawaii saying yes. something like there's an natural disaster and everyone was having a meltdown. And then like 10 minutes or an hour later, they're like, oh, don't worry, actually, that was a false yeah. alarm. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, that's exactly right. You get you get your phone to vibrate and it's like in the world destruction. <laughs> Hide in your basement or something. I don't know what it would say, but there'd be some sort of public notification. But I mean, the what the nuclear, uh, the doomsday clock um, with the with the Union of Concerned Scientists. I think I have that right. Who's responsible yeah. for that? Would tell us that we're as close to nuclear annihilation as we've ever been in history. And it's it's shocking how much power one person has over nuclear arsenals. You know, like whoever is president of the United States could just become, you know, there's, there's very few safe, it seems like there's very few safeguards that are keeping one person in uh, America or Russia or China or any or India, uh, any of the nuclear superpowers from just, arbitrarily deciding, eh, you know what? <laughs> Screw it. That was that was a bad conference. That guy humiliated me at, at you know, whatever United Nations concert we we had, and now I'm firing some nukes across. Uh, we'll see what we'll see if they can catch them. And, and it's it's so telling to me that the answer to like the safe, the supposedly the safest way to avert nuclear wars by building nuclear bombs. Like that's that's the best solution we've come up with for any of this stuff. Is more, oh, we want to, we don't want to have nuclear wars. So what do we need to do? Build some more nukes. <laughs> Duh. So yeah, I find it concerning, and I don't know uh, what I don't know what the likelihood of that is. But that's that's another that's ones like the aliens where it's just this like wild card that's hanging out. And that's also one that can be triggered by a million things. You know, like if we have another world war, is that going to be a nuclear world war this time? You know, America is the only country that's ever dro- actually dropped nukes on people before. And that was because they were dropping nukes on people that didn't have them. <laughs> so like the, the best deterrent is <laughs> so you can see where the deterrent argument comes from. You know, it's like we learned it's like, well, we we probably would have nuked Japan if uh, Japan had nukes. <laughs> so I guess maybe that's where the justification comes from, but it's still a, it's still a flimsy one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so funny. It is, it is one of those things. It's like, um, you know, if, if you're a kid and you've got like a big stick or something, you will smack other kids, but if they've got a stick, you probably won't. You'll hit their stick. You'll just be like, oh, I probably don't want to be smacked by their stick. But if you're the only kid with a stick, you'll go around school smacking everyone until because <laughs> the consequences is is quite funny. And yeah, I think I think when the whole North Korea thing came to light of like how you know, depending on who you talk to, depends on how much of a threat people think North Korea actually is. I'm not an expert in that matter. I just try not to think about North Korea too much. I'm just hoping he's a bit balmy. He's kind of like a small dog, just kind of barking, being like, respect me, respect me. I've got nukes. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but by the time it takes you to reach over us, you'll just end the world. Do you really want to end the world? Do you hate us more than you, hate, than you love yourself? Probably not. That's quite a good thing with America, I think, is that as much as America likes to act like Billy Big Bollocks, they love, as a nation, 
America loves itself more than it hates anything else. It loves America more than it hates communism. It loves America more than it hates Putin. So it's just like, you're probably not going to send the first nuke knowing everyone else has got a nuke because you don't want to lose everything. Whereas I think other nations, maybe Russia somewhat, I feel like is more likely to drop nukes than America because Russia, at least from what I understand about Putin and things, is more so like, I think if, if Putin got to the end of his life and he's like, you know what, fuck all you guys, nuke you all. I feel like that's more likely than anyone in America being like, you know what, screw all my family, screw capitalism, screw everything, let's bomb everything. So I, I think that it's probably more likely another nation's going to do it. But once again, I don't think anyone is, anyone who's high enough in power who also has control over everyone else, although there are lots of safeguards, I, I think that, yeah, that there's, we've kind of got past the point I, I don't think, I like to hope no one who has that kind of power is willing to die. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. I think even if nukes did get dropped, there would be a d- degree of people who'd survive due to, you know, the dregs, you know, other people in like Alaska or people in really remote oh, yeah. areas who aren't affected oh, yeah. by the radiation or the actual vaporizing bombs. And then that's probably what would turn into a the road slash Book of Eli situation. Oh, yeah. And don't, and so I'm, I live in Maine, which is like the upper easternmost part of america and we're not near any like major metropolitan areas so don't think i haven't thought about like what's the fallout radius from new york city <laughs> will, it, will it get us but i i just want to congratulate you mike on your uh analysis of america in light of the facts in spite of the fact uh of what happened here between 2016 and 2020 uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, who, and who had their finger on the nuclear trigger during that time. So I, I'm glad that you still have faith that, uh, I mean, sure, vanity was a big part of it. That's true. Uh, and make America great again it's, was certainly a catchy slogan. But I don't know if that was really, uh, I don't know if we really loved ourselves as much as we hate other people. I, I think that <laughs> seems to be bubbling up. Uh, like some of the rhetoric that went back and forth between Trump and Kim Jong-un, uh, it's like 2017. Like it had me, it had me legitimately worried. And mm. perhaps that's naive on my part, but I, I wasn't worried so much because I agree with you. Like, North Korea, and if you get a true irrational actor like North Korea, where it's a dictator and they're nuclear power, and there's like literally no checks and balances, no accountability for how they use those things, it's it's a pure mission of like, if I launch this, I will, I'm definitely signing my death warrant. And you have to hope that they realize that and they're, they're rational enough at that instant to, to get that. I, North Korea, just from a tech perspective, seems like, you know, they're a threat to South Korea. Mm. But I was more concerned, and again, perhaps naively, and it, it bore out that it was naive of me to actually be concerned about this. But I was like, are we going to bomb North Korea? Like, it really <laughs> seems like we're, it's on the table that the U.S. is going to bomb North Korea, and mm. maybe not with a nuclear bomb, but with something substantial or invade them or something. Like the warmongering that was going on and the, the rhetoric and the escalation of it back in 2017 was just... I hadn't experienced something like that before in my lifetime. Yeah, I think we we over here were worried somewhat as well. We were like, what's what's America going to do? America better not fucking drag us into some sort of war and kill us all just because Trump and Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un are having some sort of, you know, dick measuring competition, which is what it always seemed like. And it was... Um, but with, I think with North Korea, it was that kind of thing where they're in a position where it's like, okay, if we bomb them, we're signing South Korea's death warrant because they've got like bombs aimed at... Um, 
whatever the capital city is of Seoul, I think it is, of South Korea. Uh, and then it was also China were basically like to America, look, if you bomb North Korea, we, we're going to have to back them up. Like, they're our yeah. bro, <laughs> souls. Uh, like, you know, China and America have got this weird cybersecurity Cold War thing going on, but I think both of them are quite self-important, even though both commit war crimes. I think China's probably worse in general. But once again, I'm not a... <laughs> don't listen to everything I say. I'm not 100% uh, accurate with all my political understandings, but I think that both China and America both want to be the big boy nation of the world. And I don't think either of them are willing to allow their nation to be destroyed to one-up the other one. So I think it's just... Well, I hope. You know, I, I'm kind of in the same... I what well, I did have worries. I don't. I don't think you are naive for having those worries because genuinely there were times over here in the UK in the press and to, to general society where North Korea was being spoken about a lot, and a lot of it was, you know, regardless of whether or not you like Trump, that's fine. I don't generally support him. I'm not that entrenched in American politics, but. Trump was a dickhead. Like, that's how most of Britain viewed him. Like, what's that twat over there doing? Like, we got a twat running, ruling us right now, Boris Johnson, who's basically a mini Trump. But it's just like, what is that twat really going to try and potentially cause the end of the world? Do we think, I know, there's always that kind of mindset. I was like, I don't think Trump has the balls to do it. Trump, to me, seems like the kind of guy who'd square up to someone and be all fun and game, you know, I'll beat you up. And then once he gets hit in the face once, he would cry and back away. That's kind of how I viewed Trump a lot of the time, where he's just that douche. Just someone at a party and you're just like, oh, don't get him started, for fuck's sake. We don't want to have to kick him out of the party because trying to get him out of the party is more effort than just letting him have his moment. You know, That's kind of how we viewed it from over there. We're like, he's probably not going to be there very long, but let's just hope he doesn't do too much damage before he leaves so that's kind of most of the uk even people on the right like there were some people in the uk who did genuinely vehemently support trump weirdly but most of the uk even people on the right were just like <laughs> so. yeah. well again I, I appreciate your faith in america that you thought we were going to get him out quickly um i wasn't so sure but i'm glad that it happened and it it was definitely like when he got kicked off Twitter, that there was such like a tangible sense of relief. But it's like, oh, <laughs> to hear this guy, you didn't realize like how much tension the mic, the microphone he had. Like when you're threatening other countries through Twitter, it, you know, it's like, oh, like that's the sort of thing where I'm like, oh my god, like, such a weird sentence. Yeah, it's so. Yeah. Anyway, nu- nuclear war is is one is another one. Yeah, I, I can't quantify. If I feel like that will be the end. People smarter than me seem to think that that will be the end of us. And uh, we can only hope that, you know, we're living in a place that <laughs> we don't have like birth defects or we don't get wiped out immediately. And somehow we learn to live around it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think if if bomb, you know, who knows what would happen if bombs got dropped? You know, hopefully it would just be the two main people for squabbling would blow each other up, and then the rest of the world would just have to kind of pick up the pieces, in a sense. Um, but yeah. we bring back duels. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do think it's one of those things. Like with most of these end of the world things, I do think that they're worth thinking about. It's good to have safeguards in. There's still a couple more I want to talk about. It sounds like I'm wrapping things up. Not quite, um, but I, it's more so. I do worry about certain things. Like I, there is that part of me that. I think with me as an individual is I do worry about stuff in general, but I kind of end up filing them in my brain in a way to compartmentalize stuff. So like AI, if I talk about AI, it comes to light and maybe for a day or so I'm like, hmm, AI could take over and destroy everyone. But I'm just like, I have no power at all 
on any of these things in the world. And so when I don't have power over something, unless it's something affecting me, like if my boss is being a dick to me, for example, you know, I want to clarify my boss at work at the moment. It's lovely, so I don't worry about those things. But like if someone at your work's being a dick or there's just someone who's in your vicinity negatively affecting you and you can't really do anything, that I can't compartmentalize because it's, you know, in front of me. When it's world-ending stuff, most of the time I can just be like, yeah, there could be nuclear war, but... I can't do anything. Either it's going to happen and I'm going to have to then live potentially for a very short period of time in a world where bombs have got dropped or an AI has taken over or I'm going to get wiped out so quickly I'm not ever going to have to live in that world or it's not going to happen in my lifetime. So I'm kind of in that mindset with a lot of these things whereas with climate change and with like a pandemic it's one of those things where climate change is actually affecting us right now. Whether or not it will be the end of the world, who knows? But it's still having an effect so it's harder to avoid. And with the pandemic, like you know, the last uh, pandemic was the early 1900s with the Spanish flu, even though it didn't originate in Spain uh, at all. <laughs> it was nothing to do with the Spanish. But um, with that sort of the pandemic thing, I think is something that's unavoidable. You know, regardless of whether or not people have been hugely negatively affected in the COVID pandemic or they've some people have thrived in it, which kudos to them, you know, everyone's been affected differently. But it's undeniable that everyone living over the last two years has been affected by it in some way. And I think that the pandemic is something which, if you'd have asked me three years ago, I'd be like, I'm not fussed about a pandemic. I, I understand in concept it could happen. But after this, I'm just like, all it takes is another strain of COVID. And I think there's a new one out, Omni strain or something. But all it takes is, it's not this simple because I'm, I'm no biochemist. But in theory, you get the lethality of like E. coli mixing with the how contagious COVID is. And that will make a super virus because, you know, things like E. coli, if I've got my diseases right, you know, you bleed from every orifice, it kills you, it's horrendous to have. But catching it off someone's quite difficult because you have to come into contact with their bodily fluid or feces. So controlling E. coli. E. coli. E. coli. Right. E. coli is different. Oh, okay, Anyways. there you go. I'm glad you know because I'm just waffling. But like, you know, the, with the pandemic thing, it's now refreshed my worry of just like if if COVID mutates, if all these vaccines, like I'm not an anti-vaxxer, I want to clarify, but I'm understanding that with like the flu, for example, you need to get a flu shot like every year because the flu mutates and changes and it becomes resistant to things. If this could happen with COVID and it goes down the route of more lethal, that is a worry of mine. So with you with a pandemic, like how, how likely do you think that was a few years ago? And now what's your kind of view on that level if it could end the world? Yeah. And actually it's Ebola. Right, Ebola. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, like even as late as like February 2020, I was like, ah, <laughs> stock market's crashing. Ah, what a bunch of worry warts. <laughs> That's not, you know, China looks like, you know, they've got all of their cities on lockdown. That's not going to come over here. And, bad no no big deal so to, like that was fully off my radar mm. and and now you see stuff like they instituted a bunch of travel bans because of the new variant and that just seems if there's nothing there's nothing you can do to stop this if this thing is going to like last time it got like to the u.s through new york from uh from europe basically mm. like you you know you can't there's too many tendrils all across you can't shut it down if it wants to get there it's going to get there and I've been reading some stuff about how uh, the melting of permafrost um, by 
by climate change is like releasing all of these pathogens back into the atmosphere that haven't been around for tens of thousands of years. Mm. Like no humans have like immune systems capable of dealing with these things anymore. And they don't know like what else is underneath the other layers of permafrost that are going to start bubbling up. And, and you add that on to just, like, I don't know if COVID was made in the lab. Mm. It's, there are smart people that are not like partisan actors or, you know, partisan hacks uh, who would argue both sides, mm. I think, and are trying to follow the research to find out. And I don't think that even if it was created in the lab, I don't think that China released it on the world as some sort of test. If it was, or I'm assuming it got out by some, some mistake. I agree. But that's what, that's what these countries, and you'd be stupid to think that every country you know, with the resources, isn't doing the exact same thing, creating these horrible viruses in a lab. Mm-hmm. America is definitely somewhere in the desert of the Midwest where we've got, you know, a bunch of bunkers full of the most horrible things you've ever seen in your life held in vials. <laughs> and yeah. So it's like, th- this one has definitely changed my perspective about that. And it does seem like as horrible as COVID has been, it seems like we got lucky with it, doesn't it? Where it's mm. like, it's like, oh, this one gives you uh, a common cold. And if you've got, if you're just unlucky or you've got other comorbidities, uh, it, it can be pretty lethal to you. And, yeah. Um, and like, yeah, so Ebola is a great one. <laughs> like what happens if, what happens if the next one's like Ebola and, you know, like you're bleeding out of your eyes or like pieces of your, like your nose is falling off or something mm. like that, you know, and, and that's being transmitted through the air. <laughs> you know, yes. It's like, it's like, was this just a dry run for something worse that's coming down the line? Or is this truly a once every hundred years occurrence? And, you know, my, my grand, my, yeah, my grandchildren will have to worry about it. Yeah. There is the worry as well that I've had, which is because of COVID, because like some of my, Kid, um, some of my friends have had kids during COVID or just before and things, and there is a worry that this generation that are born throughout the lockdown pandemic are going to have a worse immune system because where they've been locked down so much, you know, the way your immune system gets better is by being coming into contact with things that are either not harmful or that could be harmful, but are in such low doses that your your body is able to fight them off. The, the analogy I've always heard, um, which I think is quite cool, so I'm going to share with the audience on the podcast, is like you've got an army of people. And then you've got a whole army and then 20 of the enemy charge your gate and then you kill them all quite easily and quickly and then you study all their stuff and you go, oh, they've got this type of weapon. Oh, they've got this type of weapon. Oh, they do this in this formation. Okay, we will plan so that if they attack again, we've got some sort of contingency. And that's kind of how a vaccine works. That's kind of how your immune system in incredibly layman's and simplistic terms works. The small amounts of it, they can kind of learn. They can't really learn because they're bacteria, but broad strokes. So my worry, though, is that if because we've been locked in so much, like I've over the last two years, I've had more colds in this two year period than I've ever had because I'm not going out and my immune system is suffering because of this. And my worry is that something might happen where something like you know, uh, E. coli or Ebola or anything like that comes out and previously wasn't that contagious because generally speaking a rule of thumb with most diseases is that the more contagious it is the less lethal it is and, and vice versa and the worry is that yeah if something if a super virus does come out that's not that contagious and but it's very lethal but because everyone's immune system is shot from two years of being basically inside that now the human race is weakened to then be receptive to another one i don't think it's going to happen but i there is that worry it could 
Yeah, you know, and the, definitely the biology gives you comfort about like a pandemic actually being the one that causes the end of the world. And I think this one's one of the more unlikely ones mm. um, because it's still Darwinianism, yeah. right? Where the the disease doesn't, it doesn't do any good to kill the host mm -hmm. because if it kills the host, it doesn't replicate, it doesn't move on. So it's, it's natural tendency is to make the host as sick, but functional as possible, but basically as functional as possible. It wants to operate like in the background. And, you know, if you don't even notice it, that's the best case scenario for it. Cause then you're more likely to pass it on to somebody else. So just from a, a nature perspective, that's true. Um, how we're monkeying around with and changing this stuff and combining who knows what uh, is, you know, sort of the wild card that's in there too. And I have a daughter who's nine and it's, she was out from school from March of 2020 until uh, September, 2020. And then from September until uh, June of 2021, <clears throat> she was in two days a week. Um, and especially when they're, and now she's back full time, um, masked and all that stuff, but especially when they're young and you see it, like they're constantly sick. Mm -hmm. Like the, so the kids that are born nowadays, like we had her in daycare. And so I don't know what it's like for kids that stay home all the time with a parent that can stay in the house. But once you put them in daycare they're for three years, they're constantly sick especially during the winter, they're just germ factories and it's just their bodies catching up with all of this stuff. And so I, yeah, I don't know if that's going to have a suppression quality on the, on humanity as we go, but um, they, they do catch on pretty quick. Uh, I think that hopefully there's not a bunch of, we'll all sort of get our immune systems ramped back up and functioning once we're exposed to people again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, as you said, like even when, I know it's not the same disease because it's via uh, fleas and ticks and things, but like the bubonic plague, that's probably the worst, most famous plague in the entire world before COVID. And it was like that happened. It wiped <laughs> out a huge percentage of Europe and all that other stuff. And I didn't even realize until recently how many people in Europe and England died from the bubonic plague. It's like a huge percentage. I think it was like, I might, I might be talking at my ass here, but I'm sure it was like at least like 10, 20%. I think it was more than that. But you got to think like- really? Yeah, it was it was a huge amount. Whereas COVID, although it's you know I, there are a lot of people been affected, most people I know in the UK have had COVID, but I don't know anyone who's died. I know people who know people who've died. It's primarily, as you said, you know people with pre-existing conditions or are super old or whatever. And obviously, there are people who seemingly are healthy who have died. And I'm not trying to downplay the uh, severity of that, but as you said, like it's quite lucky that the amount of people who get COVID and are actually okay or at least haven't died from it compared to some of the previous plagues and things we've had and like the modern technology i mean you know covid's been shit for a lot of people but if this had happened in the 50s the world would be vastly different because at least with the internet being such a not just a resource but it's for most people in the built-up first worlds even in you know many of the other nations across the world who aren't as affluent in certain ways the internet is such a huge thing most households have some connection to the internet so the majority of people whether it's reduced in certain ways have been able to function somewhat but if you had this in the 50s my god 
It's even like TV and music and movies, all those things. There was nowhere near the amount there is now. You, you could lock me in a house for two two years straight. I have no interaction with any humans, and it would suck socially. But I wouldn't run out of things to do. I've got so many books I could read, comics, you know, movies to watch, TV series, and it's like that's the silver lining in my view of the pandemic, trying to downplay the severity of this horrendous thing that's been plaguing humanity for two years. It's like, you got Netflix though, haven't you? <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know. It definitely, like the internet facilitated us being able to lock down. And mm. it also did it from the perspective of a, like a public health perspective and a public information perspective and an information sharing perspective where it's like, these are the ways that and I don't know what that was like in the 1950s. I picture, you know, like jalopies and black and white and uh, just a general lack of sophistication. So and, and I don't I don't really know how this happened back in the 1920s with the Spanish flu. Mm. I, I read a bit about it and their like solution was they would open windows in schools and like stuff like that, you know. And so it, it definitely the scale of COVID feels huge. And I think that's because we're all so interconnected now that we can track, you know, how many cases a day, like in, in the Spanish flu, I'm sure that nobody had any idea, like how many cases were in the country or their town mm. or let alone like another country and how they were dealing with it and the ebbs and flows and the seasonality of it. And, and so I bet it was a lot easier to ignore back then and just be like, Oh yeah, it's the coldest, the colds this year are really bad, but with the amount of interconnectedness that we all have now, it's it just facilitated what I think is a completely different response than we've had before. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's, it's it's one of those things where yeah, the internet it connects us more, but it also puts a magnification on certain things. It divides us in a lot of ways, but it also has us together. It it it's a very it's very the internet is very telling of humans because humans aren't net good or net bad we're just capable of the most horrendous things conceivable while also some of the most incredible things conceivable you know it's such a wide berth i think the internet is a mirror of that obviously we created it so and it is a thing that only really works with human interaction it's not something that just kind of functions by itself you know people have to touch it but artificial intelligence well there we go that was a good link there you go <laughs> very nicely done um so we'll come to the end here uh, because if we start off on another tangent we'll be talking forever um which would not <laughs> be that bad i would say but i haven't had dinner yet so that's part of the reason um but just sort of final thoughts on the sort of end of the world thing obviously this has been somewhat of a pessimistic chat but we've tried to kind of be like well balanced i've tried to you know keep it balanced in some ways but these things still have to be discussed it has to people for my view have to be aware of some of these things happening but i would also like to put the little caveat and say most of the probably only one of these if the world's gonna end is gonna happen or they're all gonna happen at once and it won't really matter you know but with you as an individual at this moment of recording do you think it is very likely that the human race either in our lifetime or say in the next hundred years is gonna suffer through one of these world ending events or are you more uh optimistic about it what are your personal opinions on this and then we'll uh, wrap up yeah so again this goes to my own vanity which is <laughs> which i can't seem to escape from this <laughs> that i hope it doesn't and real like my realistic part of my brain says like nah you'll get to old age and you should worry more about cancer than you should about you know <laughs> nuclear war or something like that 
but I, I can't shake the feeling that, and this is that progress quote unquote, here's my air quote that you can only see on the YouTube is, uh, is hurtling to us such a, at such a place at such a breakneck speed now that it's just sort of an unsustainable track we're on. And, uh, so I definitely worry about it and it does drive and my thoughts on this makes its way into my writing. Um, and so it sort of, manif- my worries manifest there and then they also fester because then I, I'm constantly thinking about this stuff. And so that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's a feedback loop that just keeps getting worse. And I, I don't, again, I, I agree with you about the feeling of helplessness where it's, you know, what can we really do? I think that with, that's dangerous a bit with the environmental stuff because I do think there's some personal accountability stuff that we can all do to mm-hmm. sort of make the environment better. And if we collectively do that, we'll force corporations to change and we'll oh, force great. governments to take notice and stuff. So I'm not hopeless about that we'll be able to turn the tide there, but uh, it's definitely something I think about. And I'm, ca- I guess I'm cautiously optimistic and that, you know, like I have a kid, so that's a big part of it. And then, um, but I do find myself sometimes when I'm like putting money away into savings for retirement or whatever, I'm like, am I going to need that? Or for <laughs> that money? I really Is, is, is there going to be a 401k when I'm 65 or is this, are we going to be like, is commerce going to be trading canned goods uh, <laughs> and, and Twinkies or something? You know? like, is, that, is that what I should be at? Should I be investing in mace? Uh, <laughs> Just like you do see those people who've got like invest lots of money and time in those like end of the world bunkers. And that's like the yeah. ultimate I told you so. Like you investing like thousands well. upon thousands of dollars in that. And if you are right, if you're right and the world does end and you get a book of Eli the Road sort of end of the world situation and you're one of those bastards who spent <laughs> your life getting one of those things, you would be su- – like you as an individual, you as one, I would be this way. I would be such a dick to people. Every morning we wake up with my family, oh, is it still the end of the world? Who could have seen that coming? A, and I would just be like that, a dick. If you want to come to my shelter, yeah, if you want to come to my shelter, you have to listen to me tell you how fucking stupid you are and how smart and right I was for the last while. I want to clarify, I don't have a bunker. I Even if I had the money to, I wouldn't do that. But I have thought, because we've got, I think 401k with you guys is the same as what we have, which is a pension, which is basically you retire and then you the government gives you a certain amount of money every uh, month. And it's like, I've I've had discussions with Megan um, and I've been like, she's like, you need to put money in your pension. And I'm like, but it takes 5% of my wage. I don't make that much anyway. I don't want to lose 5% to potentially at the moment that retirement age is like 65, I think, or 67. And it was like 60 when I was like 10 years ago. And it's bumping up, probably going to be like 70 or 80 by the time I even get there. And I'm like, most men in my family died of cancer before 70 like I'm not saying I know that a lot of it is lifestyle and things and I try and live healthily but it's also I could walk outside tomorrow and get hit by a bus or be in a horrible car crash or something like there's all these things and I'm like am I going to make it to the age I can actually comfortably retire is that really going to happen I hope it does I hope I live to a ripe old age but equally I might get to 80 and be like I'm fucking done I'm going blind I'm going deaf everything aches just leave me in the woods. <laughs> Just wheel gold grandpa out in the woods, say goodbyes, and then he's gone. Which <laughs> yeah. is a horrible, nice, uh, depressing way almost to end this. But um, fear not, my friends. The podcast isn't going anywhere unless the world ends. So, um, you know, keep on listening to Genuine Chit Chat. So, Jesse, do you want to just quickly tell people, I'll put it in the links in the description, where people can find you, where they can, uh, you know, your amazing writings and things, and anything, final thoughts you want to add, and then I will end the call. 
Well, my, my final thought is I apologize for just laughing at your family's cancer history. Um, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Laugh through the pain. So, yeah. I guess, I guess if you're predisposed to uh, that, that sort of humor, you can find me at jessemckinnell.com um, and read my books because it's, it's full of blackness that I try to make fun of. Uh, and uh, that's, that's the best place. I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Twitter a bit, but uh, Twitter's a cesspool, so I don't really look at it very often. And, um, yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Mike. It was really fun. Uh, both times we, we, we did this was fun and for indulging me in, in this uh, conversation that uh, I can't really have with anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'd need to connect you in 2022 with some of my other podcasting friends because I'm sure a whole bunch of them would love to talk to you about all this sort of tomfoolery and other books and comics and stuff like that. I've got a nice little network. So this is another thing to any of my uh, fabulous listeners. Reach out to me and or Jesse and see what we're up to in 2022 because I'm sure whether or not your next book is out 2022 or if you just want to have another end of the world natter or anything like that you know just hit me up and we can organize something i'll be be delightful to have you on the show again um so yeah Thanks, it's all good i'll uh, put the details in the show notes to your website obviously guys check out the other episode which i'm sure in the intro and probably the outro i've probably rambled on about it so um check that out if you haven't already and check out jesse's books you know they're amazing they're a lot of fun they are genuinely funny if, if you read even an excerpt from them or the first chapter because i think the first chapter is on your website um it's like if you read any of them you can you won't be able to put them down they're a lot of fun so go check them out and uh, support jesse and follow him on social media all that sort of stuff and tweet at him every single day because he loves twitter that's his favorite thing tweet really horrible things at him on twitter that's his favorite um yeah thank you so much jesse it's coming on it's always a delight uh, to speak with you and talking about the end of the world stuff is always fun so um yeah well just thank you for coming on and i'll talk to you again soon thanks mike appreciate it and that's the end of the episode. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. As I said in the intro, if you haven't already, go listen to episode 140 of Genuine Chit Chat so you can hear all about Jesse's books and things and have a nice introduction to him. And also make sure you check out his website and also the link in the description so you can read the first full chapter of his first book for free. So guys, what else is going on with Genuine Chit Chat? Well, next week should be my conversation, or at least part one of my conversation, with Ben of Star Wars Timeline. I'm due to record with him on Wednesday, so it hasn't been done yet, but from previous experience talking with Ben, we always natter on for ages. It's normally like minimum two hours. So in my standard fashion, I will release part one next week, and then I'll likely release part two the following week, and then we'll have a nice little Christmas break. I'll still try and release an episode or so around Christmas. It'll probably just be something from my Patreon, but it won't be a full standard episode of Genuine Chit Chat. And if you wanted even more content from Genuine Chit Chat and you want to hear that conversation I'm going to have with Ben in one full unsplit way rather than having to listen to part one and then wait a week and listen to part two, you can become a supporter. So if you go over to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat, for as little as £1 a month, you get access to hours and hours of additional content. At the moment, there's like 77 episodes, I think, that are uploaded on there. That includes a couple of full unsplit episodes of Genuine Chit Chat, and then some road trip episodes, some episodes where me and Megan have spoken about movies and TV series and all kinds of other stuff. There's a couple of me where I've spoken about comics, and I've got more of those to record as well. Uh, a review of Dark Disciples is going to be coming out too as well. There's lots of bits and pieces that I upload on there, but you'll get at least 10 minutes of content every 
every week because that's generally how long the episodes are but some of them go up to 20 or even 30 minutes long depending on how much me and Megan sort of waffle and generally if it's a spoiler free review it's generally a shorter one so the Venom Let There Be Carnage Shang-Chi Eternals those sort of things and uh, we are going to go see Spider-Man like a day after it comes out so we'll undoubtedly do an afterthoughts on that as well and that will be spoiler free but yeah guys it's just one of those ways where you can support the show financially and you also get hours of additional content and you get early access to stuff and the higher tiers have a bit more stuff as well that you can get your hands on so if you'd like to financially contribute to the show um, then please go over to patreon.com slash genuine chits chat now, leading off that, I'd say please go over to my YouTube channel, which I've included a link to that in the description. Uh, please go over there and subscribe. I've got video versions of certain episodes. I've also got all my Star Wars comics and canon episodes released on there. There's a couple of other random like bonus episodes that have aired on Comics in Motion that I've aired on the YouTube channel as well. But if you could subscribe, because once I get 100 subscribers, I can then change the channel name from gobbledygook to slash genuine chit chat, which would mean a lot to me. I know that almost none of you listen on YouTube and the numbers are clearly show that. But if any of you who are listening on audio only and you do have a YouTube account, please go over and subscribe. It would mean a lot to me. But if you don't want to make a YouTube account or you don't want to subscribe on YouTube, you don't want to contribute to me financially on Patreon, then don't worry. There's still two other avenues. You can spread the word by talking to your friends or sharing on social media, you know, telling people about a genuine chit chat. Or if you don't want to do that, then there is one final way, which is you can rate and review. You can do that on good pods. You can do that on Podcast Addict. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. You can do it on a variety of podcasts apps and podcatchers so if you can do that then please rate and review genuine chit chat because it really does help the exposure and helps other people hear about the show and then the bigger the show gets the bigger the guests i can get and although i've adored speaking with all the guests i've had on the show thus far you know there's no limit to who i want to speak to so if you could help the show out in any of those methods i would be incredibly grateful to you that could be your christmas gift to me but aside from that, guys, you know, I've got my Star Wars show. Links and details to that are in the description. If you've been listening for a while, you know all about the Star Wars show and you know that I love Star Wars. So if you want to hear about Star Wars stuff, go check that out. I've got some very exciting things planned for the new year. I think I've already got like two or three podcasts already booked in January. So <laughs> not even Christmas is here and I've already got stuff planned. But um, yeah, make sure you check out Patreon. That's the main way to get additional content, especially over the Christmas period. I will be releasing quite a few things over there with Megan as a little Christmas treat for you lovely Patreons. Uh, but aside from that, guys, just thank you as always for listening. Please go and give Jesse McKinnell all the love you can on Instagram and on Twitter and buy his book and read it and tell him how great it is and review it on Amazon. All all those great things i know you guys are amazing so i'm sure some of you will do that but that's going to be it from me guys i hope you tune in to next week and the week after's episode with ben but just in case you don't i hope you have a great holiday season a really good christmas if you celebrate christmas and stuff uh, and just a good end to 2021 with good tidings for 2022 so um yeah just thanks guys i appreciate each and every one of you and i'll talk to you next week you have just experienced host creator everything else of genuine chit chat and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.